Artistic Whispers Productions presents Down from 10 A country house mystery written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer Author contact information at www.jdsawyer.net Featuring the vocal talents of Philippa Ballantyne T. Morris Kitty Nakian Nathan Lowell Miss Calendar Nobilis Reed Christiana Ellis Chris Lester With original music by Danny Shade This podcast contains adult language, sexual situations, and bizarre humor. Listener discretion is advised. Hi, this is Mer Lafferty from The Takeover, Heaven, and Playing for Keeps, all found at merverse.com. You're listening to episode 16 of Down from 10, and this is the story so far. Snow has funny effects on people. Nightmares, visions, delusions. After being ejected to his room, Jeremiah decided to do a little digging, only to get trapped under the snow and barely make it out with his skin. Amos, on the other hand, declared his godhood before retiring to bed. But still, when everyone's asleep, something moves in the house. Nobody is safe. Chapter 16 E-5 Morning The smell of bacon and the rushing sound of the fire made for the nearest approximation of morning they had. For the moment, aside from Amos staunchly occupying the couch corner he'd managed to annex with his pen and blank book, Katie had the living room to herself. She was starting to go a little batty from the lack of sunlight, but there was something intoxicating about the air of perpetual evening in here. The fire always going, the solarium lit usually by the light in the spa and nothing else. And this morning, it was her turn. Adele had breakfast in the hopper and an audience in the kitchen, and Katie had a casting session to set up. Hair dryers, nitrile gloves, boxes of bandages, two buckets of water, and two new tubs of petroleum jelly lay out on the floor in front of the hearth, and the rest of her lesson was laid out under the blanket on the sofa that Amos wasn't currently haunting. The smell of the bacon from the kitchen was killing her. She had to get some food. Want some breakfast, Amos? Yeah, sure. He didn't look up, consumed with whatever brainstorm he desperately needed to get on paper. Catching the emotions from this morning? Maybe. His face was too intent for any other emotions to show through well enough to read. He didn't notice Sarah and Kevin as they brushed by Katie on their way from the kitchen, humming something that sounded like a Gregorian chant. Katie settled back against the wall and folded her arms. This was going to be good. They circled the entire living room twice, each carrying a tray filled to overflowing with silk flowers, food, and ribbons. If Katie hadn't known better, and she was plenty thankful she did, she'd have pegged them as members of the Druid Grove in Sacramento she sometimes did costuming work for. Nice people, great sense of theater, hearts as big as the trees they deified, and batty as a belfry. Adele, the picture of battered composure in her paint-stained t-shirt and brown flannel, slipped out of the kitchen and leaned against the wall next to Katie. She whispered, Watch this. The unlikely pagans completed their ritual circuits with Amos still oblivious, then laid their trays at his feet with a deep sense of reverence. They stood and retreated once again to the kitchen, then re-emerged bearing an improvised laurel crown. Sarah circled round behind Amos and held it triumphantly above his head. 
Kevin circled round the front and prostrated himself before the earnest scribbler as if Amos was a sultan. Amos still hadn't noticed, and neither Katie nor Adele could hold back the giggles. Their laughter finally caught his attention, and he peeked over the edge of his book, raising a puzzled eyebrow at the two of them. Adele stepped forward and threw her arms wide with a flourish. Your subjects await you. What? Sarah lowered the crown onto his head and hurried round to the front, joining Kevin in worshipful submission. The two of them began bowing up and down like Amos was the new Mecca. We have seen the light! Holy Lord! Sarah sounded like a priestess in a bad Conan ripoff. <laughs> yes, Lord! We believe that last night you told us the truth. When you said, I am, you spoke the great truth of the universe, for indeed, you are! And you are here! Gracing us with your presence, inscribing your divine will with the holy codex, the great leaves of beaten tree flesh stained black with the blood of your thoughts. You should have been the writer. If I could come up with that shit, I'd be selling scripts for TV. He speaks! Sarah, still on her knees, threw her head up to the ceiling and her arms out to the side. I'll hearken the word of the Lord! Give us another word, O fount of wisdom! A commandment from your glorious lips! Amos snapped the book closed and regarded them both with an air of condescension. Very well. Both of you, turn around, place your elbows on the table, and pray forgiveness for making bloody fools of yourselves. Yes, Lord. Sarah turned around and assumed the position. When Kevin hesitated, she hit him on the shoulder and he followed suit. Amos leaned forward and smacked each of them soundly on the ass with his book. Kevin grimaced at the indignity, but Sarah smiled and waggled her tail as if hoping she'd get another one. That is for being weirdos. Hallelujah! Again! <laughs> you wish. Amos settled back into his seat. But I can be weirder. Amos picked his pencil up and opened his book again. Impossible. The universe would cave in. Adele pushed off the wall and walked over to Kevin, laughing and applauding all the way. <laughs> she pulled him to his feet and gave him a peck on the cheek. Well done. Amos rolled his eyes and started scribbling again. Sarah looked over her shoulder and sighed. Looks like God has abandoned us. Well, then, we'd better do for ourselves. Katie pulled a nitrile glove out of her pocket and snapped it on over her hand. Where are Carol and Garrett? Kevin looked around and, failing to see any trace of either of them, shrugged. Oh, probably old souls talk. Having breakfast and plotting to abduct us all to their diabolical domain beyond the heavens. Damn, I was hoping for murdering us all in our beds. Say it isn't so. Nope. Jeremiah's out in the solarium with her. Adele slid the glass door open and leaned out into the solarium. Carol... Do you have a policy about aspiring deities? They're not allowed to accept animal sacrifices unless they pay for the charcoal and bring their own offal tub. Sarah swiveled around and picked up the trays full of sacrifice, setting them down on the end table at the corner where the two couches met. What about virgins? I don't think you're supposed to slaughter virgins, are you? There's no need. Carol stepped through into the living room and made a beeline for the kitchen. They wouldn't last 15 minutes through the front door. Jeremiah trailed after her. If I have to survive on virgins, I'm going to wither and die pretty quick. Ah, here we go, Jeremiah. Got one can of them left. Potato for breakfast? What about secondary virgins? Sarah took a bit from a piece of toast as Katie dragged the table out of the way. I've been good and pure for at least two hours. Katie snorted and pulled a large blue tarpaulin out from one of her crates. Purely good two hours ago, you mean. You say potato. Not to disrupt the sunrise service, but... Adele grabbed the far corners of the tarp and helped Katie spread it out on the floor. What is all this stuff? This is your doom, Bellydell. Katie smoothed the corners out. Are you going to embalm me? Next best thing to it. Amos nibbled a crust, then took a sip of his coffee, then set his book down. 
The Lord requires burnt offerings and dislikes the fruit of the soil. Ask Kane. Senorita! Katie called to Carol in the kitchen. We have un dios loco out here. Bring a few Aztec prisoners and a knife, will ya? Forget it. Time he got demoted anyway. Well then, let us make man in our own image while that crazy bastard keeps playing with his pencil. Carol and Jeremiah traipsed into the room and gave Katie their attention. Jeremiah wasn't looking so hot, wan and a little emaciated, munching on a bit of potato and appearing almost pathetically grateful for it. Katie pushed him out of her mind for a moment. She had a show to put on. So, basically, I'm going to teach you guys how to do a body casting. I work with this stuff mainly to do special effects prosthetics for film students. It's not quite high resolution enough to cast bronze in. I thought resolution was a computer thing. Well, he may not look in top health, but he was asking the right question per her normal teaching script. Katie slipped a hand into her right hip pocket. Ah, electronics geek. Come here. Jeremiah popped the last of the potato in his mouth and dutifully approached. Give me your thumb. Katie pulled a wad of silly putty from her trousers and Jeremiah pressed his thumb into it. Pretty accurate impression, eh? Yeah, so? The silly putty captured a perfect impression of every ridge and whorl in Jeremiah's thumbprint, which anyone who had played with the stuff as a kid would pretty much expect. Now. Katie reached into her left pocket and retrieved a ball of sticky polystyrene. Press your thumb into that. Jeremiah did as instructed. The polystyrene beads, each a few millimeters wide, yielded no more than a vague dent. The dancer grimaced. It's shit. Katie nodded. Resolution. It's how you measure the accuracy of a material when it's giving a certain shape. Plaster bandages have poor resolution because of the way you have to put them on, the rough cloth, the way the hardening bandages interact with the skin. If we were casting for bronze sculpture, I'd use silicone for the first stage mold, and then use that to build an ultrafine plaster mold to pour the bronze into. Kevin picked up a handful of raisins and started nibbling on them as he circled around the covered couch. Amos's book was down, and he was actually paying her rapt attention. So how do you use this for special effects? Katie deliberately kept her eyes off Kevin as he shuffled around toward the covered couch. Say you wanted to tear out someone's throat. On stage, I mean, not at a convention. Kevin planted his ass on the cover sheet and then jumped up again with a shriek. Ah! Holy shit, what is that? What? Carol rushed to his side. Feels like someone's under here. Kevin grabbed the edge of the sheet and whipped it back. Amos jumped over the back of the couch and ran to the kitchen. On the couch, his skin blue and waxy, lay Gerd. His eyes stared straight up at the ceiling. His chest didn't move. Tacky blood gobbed lazily from a gaping wound in his neck, a wound ragged around the edges as if someone had slashed through it with a serrated bread knife. Uh! Sarah shrieked. Adele gasped and whipped her flannel off. Carol sprang into action, elbowing Kevin aside and nearly knocking him over. She ran her hands helplessly over Garrett's body but didn't touch him. To nobody, she shouted, Somebody grab a towel, quick! Here! Sarah tossed her a towel just as Amos came back through the kitchen door with a handful of dish towels. Carol threw the towel across Gerd's neck and pressed it, then leaned down and pressed her ear to his chest to listen for breath or a pulse or any sign that he was still alive. After no more than a couple of seconds, she slid back onto her haunches and shook her head, yanking the towel back off his neck. Son of a bitch! Gerd's eyelids fluttered and an ironic grin broke across his face. You will have trouble proving that, must I? Remarkable larynx you have. Carol took a couple of deep breaths as if to clear the panic from her system. Gerd sat up and swung his legs around to the floor. Merci. All my life I have worked to keep it lean and sexy. Behind Katie, Sarah let her breath out. Then, without warning, she shoved Katie out of the way and launched herself at Gerd. You bastard! She landed hard on Gerd's lap and started swinging wildly at him. He caught her hands and held them immobile. She spat in his face. 
That's not funny! Why the fuck would you do something like that? The bottom fell out of Katie's stomach. She felt herself suddenly trembling as she saw, far too late, what this would look like to Sarah. Carol stood up and turned around on her. Katie stepped backwards as she saw the fury boiling off her former teacher. Carol never got angry. Not like this. Oh, God, I didn't think... That's usually what gets people killed. Carol's voice held no comfort. It shouldn't have. But that didn't make it any easier to hear. Katie wished she could crawl away and die in a corner. Fuck. If she lived to be a hundred, she might never make up for it. Katie rushed to Sarah and grabbed her around the middle. I'm sorry, Sarah. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. She pulled her friend gently off Garrett's lap, but as soon as Sarah found her feet, she planted her hands on Katie and shoved her away. You're a real bitch, you know that? I'm sorry! But nothing Katie said would make any difference. Sarah turned and ran up the stairs. Sarah! Katie tried to call after her, but it was no use. Sarah's bitter words carried down the stairs once she was out of view. Go to hell. Sarah rounded the corner at the top of the stairs and stalked down its length. She scooped her overnight bag up off the floor next to the bed and tramped back into the hallway, slamming the door pointedly behind her. Carol's room was better. At least she wouldn't be rooming with a murdering bitch. Sarah flomped down on the overlarge bed and pulled her sketch pad out of her overnight bag. She propped her back up against the headboard and rested the pad on her knees. Katie could go to hell. Sarah didn't need her anyway. The designs for the new show had to be finished this week, and she'd already wasted too much time on assholes of all flavors. She'd just stay up here while they partied down there and laughed at her. If she could focus on what she was doing, it was... God damn it. Her eyes weren't cooperating, and her paper was getting wet. Sarah dragged her wrists compulsively across her face, trying to keep it dry, and sketched as quickly as she could, as if filling the page would erase the morning. Katie staggered backwards. Sarah had never said anything like that before. She caught herself on the side of the chair and held herself up as the shame rose up around her. But she wasn't getting off that easy. Carol's voice, cold as an avalanche, followed her. What in the name of Nero were you thinking? I... I... I, I wasn't... Damn right you weren't. You're the one to talk. Shut the fuck up! Carol whipped around on Jeremiah. I've had about enough of your idiocy, too. Carol... That's not fair. Get off my ass, will you? It's hard to do when you're sticking it in our faces all the time. Hey! Shut up, all of you. You're acting like a bunch of children. Every eye in the room slid from Amos down to the floor. A terrible weight seemed to be pressing down on the house. Katie nodded. He was right. The whole morning they'd been hideously childish. She'd forgotten how raw Sarah must still be from her nightmare and the injuries the other night, and Katie's practical joke with Gerd to make a point to the class had ripped straight into Sarah again. Katie knew how frightened Sarah was of losing people. She knew how important Gerd was to the little kitten. She should have known better. Katie took a breath and looked up to apologize, and realized that everyone else must have been having similar thoughts. I really am sorry... I didn't think it would set her off. She was doing great last night. Kevin held her gaze for a moment, then nodded and looked down at the floor. You should have stayed up with us last night. He spoke to the floor as if he were afraid the walls would hear. She's just barely keeping it under the surface. How can a dream do that? Against her firm wishes, Katie's eyes strayed up the empty stairs. I think a little pit has a deep, dark hole that the dream scraped open. I'm sorry, Katie. You wouldn't have known. 
She needs you too much to tell you about what happens to her in the dark. Katie bowed her head. She knew less about the secrets in Sarah's life than Sarah knew about hers, maybe, but she never really needed the details. Sarah was Sarah, and that was enough. Perhaps thinking that had just been Katie's way of protecting herself from knowing too much? She didn't know. Anyway, it didn't matter. Sarah would have her tantrum, and then it would all be okay again after a while. She'd cool down, and then Katie could find a way to make it up to her. Adele threw a reassuring arm over Carol's shoulder and pulled the hostess's head down to her own. It's dark all the time. No sunlight, no vitamin D. We're all going a little bit nuts. Maybe so. Kevin meandered over to the end table and munched on a slice of toast. I hope they get through with the snowplows soon. May I take this thing off now, mademoiselle? Gerd scratched uncomfortably at the edges of the prosthetic. The makeup. Yeah, after two hours she'd be itching too. Katie muttered. Sure, um, yeah. And shuffled to the crate where she kept the nail polish remover. She found it hiding beneath the bag of cotton balls, which she abducted as well. Kevin stopped her before she could start dabbing away at the edges of the latex. Hold on. You put us through this for a reason. Show us. Katie took a breath and groped around mentally for her clutch release. When she found it, she shifted firmly back into teacher mode, letting the awfulness of the last few minutes sit to one side, for now. Okay, uh, come down here, take a look. Katie crouched down next to Gerd, who still sat patiently on the couch, and pointed to the makeup-covered seam at the edge of the rubber. Yesterday morning, Gerd and I snuck out into the garage and I made a cast of his neck, then used that to make this latex prosthetic. She sloshed some acetone onto the cotton ball and wiped away the blending makeup, then lifted the edge of the piece. Plaster bandages are great for this because they're high-res enough to pass, as you saw, but they're really quick and cheap. Okay, fine. That answers my question. Now, is anyone going to go see to Sarah? Gerd pulled the prosthetic off by the loose corner and handed it absently to Katie. I have made a purchase with my damage, I think. If you will excuse me. Gerd rose to his feet and walked through them as if they were no more than a flock of pigeons on the sidewalk. The stairs groaned softly as he ascended them with all the dignity of a Parisian funeral. Katie slid her hand up Carol's back and squeezed her shoulder. I'm sorry. Carol nodded sharply twice, then squeezed Katie's hand. I know. I'm just sorry I snapped at you. Amos's hands touched Katie's hip, pushing her lightly aside. She obliged, letting him pass. He moved on to the drinks table and poured a finger of scotch, then brought it to Carol. She'll be all right, Carol. She's a good kid. Carol took it from him. Her eyes gleamed in the lamplight, the tears not quite breaking over her lashes. Katie looked back up the stairs after where Sarah had gone. Tapping on the door didn't bring an answer, but it wasn't latched and swung in even under the slight pressure when Gerd pushed gently with his right index finger. Inside the threshold, the hardwood gave way to deep pile carpet. The hall continued for a couple of meters past the walk-in closet and the toilet before opening up into the boudoir proper. Off to the right sat a pair of low salon couches and a computer desk. To the left, the bed jutted out from the wall. Sarah sat flat up against the headboard, her eyes swollen and leaking down over her face, staring through the pad pressed solidly against her knees. He beheld her for a long moment, but as much as she tried to ignore him, she kept shifting a little here and there, trying to pull her feet and legs back into herself, shrinking before his eyes. 
Gerd didn't know how long he stood there watching her retreat, fighting with his own fear that doing something might make it worse. In the end, he was the one who knew her best, and he should have guessed what seeing him like that would do to her, particularly after those damnable dreams. The Frenchman slid his shoes off and climbed softly onto the bed, shuffling across the covers to sit next to her. He mimicked her posture and stayed still for another moment, letting her get used to his presence, watching her pencil in the book move as it traced the final flourishes on a ribbed vest. She continued scribbling at him, each stroke of the pencil etched with defiance, trying to tell him to go away. A friend might have listened to it and ignored the shrinking body language, the terror clinging like a vapor to her skin. A good friend might have asked her if she really wanted to be left alone. Gerd was neither. He reached out and laid the fingers of his left hand on her upper arm, running them up and down over the sleeve of her t-shirt in calming, almost fatherly strokes. She shut her eyes against his touch, but her hands relaxed, the pencil falling out of her fingers like a lily from the hand of a dying woman. Sarah let go a plaintive, whispered wail and leaned her head back. Her eyes fluttered open, trying to blink away the tears that wouldn't stop welling up. They wouldn't stop, not for a long while yet. Garrett had scratched an old scab in Sarah's soul. As far as he knew, he was the only one she'd ever told. He continued touching her, reaching out and taking her arm in both hands, pressing it between his palms as he ran them along the fibers of her muscles. Every tendon and nerve bundle was tight enough to snap under its own pressure. No twitch, no blink, no tear escaped his notice. He held her with his eyes until she finally lolled towards him. He had no good answer for the questions that she asked him. He didn't know why life hurt the way it did, or why children had to watch their parents die at the hands of intruders, or why the brightest lights in the world seemed to shine only as a way to keep the darkness at bay or why the people she loved the most could hurt her most easily. He couldn't give her the answers she wanted. All he could give her was the knowledge that he didn't know any better than she did. It seemed to be enough. Sarah ducked her head under the crook of his arm and pressed into him as if he were the only shelter she'd ever find. Gerd reached beneath her legs, wrapping a powerful arm under her knees and pulling her up into his lap. She curled into a ball and hugged him tightly. And finally, honestly, sobbed. Gerd held her to him, letting her soak through his shirt, caressing her head and kissing its crown. It was a moment that could have lasted as long as either one of them still drew breath. For the moment, it was all that mattered in the world. Listening to episode 16 of Down from 10. Written and performed by J. Daniel Sawyer, with original music by Danny Shade, used with permission. Starring T. Morris as Amos Maple, Philippa Ballantyne as Carol Lewis, Nathan Lowell as Gerd Falkstein, Miss Callender as Sarah Evans, Kitty Nakian as Katie Sato, Nobilis Reed as Kevin Walden, Chris Lester as Jeremiah Evans, and Christiana Ellis as Adele Surhan. 
Some sounds courtesy the Free Sound Project at www.freesound.org. Other sounds copyright 2009 Kitty McKeon and Artistic Whispers Productions. This audiobook is recorded, edited, and mixed at Artistic Whispers Productions in Castro Valley, California. The book is copyright 2009 J. Daniel Sawyer, based on a screenplay copyright 2008 J. Daniel Sawyer, and the recording is copyright 2009 Artistic Whispers Productions. This recording is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives 3.5 license, and all other rights are reserved to the author. Hey, this is Ari Chambliss, author of Dreaming of Deliverance, wishing you happy holidays and a fabulous 2010. The gift of lit is here. From fantasy to techno-thriller, speculative fiction to science fiction, the choices are endless this holiday season. Hi, this is Mike Luoma, author of Alibi Jones and the Vatican Assassin Trilogy, wishing you a killer holiday season. This year, the gift of lit presents J.C. Hutchins, Seth Harwood, Rhonda Carpenter, Emery and Rich, Drew Beatty, Mike Luoma, Matthew Wayne Selznick, Arlene Radowski, Philippa Valentine, David Lee Summers, Mike Reeves McMillan, Brian Rathbone, R.E. Chambliss, and A.P. Stevens. This is Rhonda R. Carpenter, author of The Mark of a Druid, wishing your clan blessed Yule tidings, slongaful. Elves, vampires, clones, Druids, pirates, assassins, mobsters, and lost gods. There is a book to suit your needs. If you're looking to give that one great gift this time of year to a family member, friend, or even for yourself, the gift of lit is the perfect choice. Support these fine authors and give the best gift this year. Visit www.apstevens.com for the complete list of authors with links to purchase their books on Amazon. From our family to yours, have a wonderful, safe holiday and a happy new year. This is Arlene Radaski, author of The Fox, wishing you a wonderful Southern California midwinter season's greetings. Hello, this is Angela, and I am actually British, and you are listening to Down From Ten. Well, at least we know what's been bothering Amos, and why Sarah was so shattered by her dreams. Whatever's happening at night is bringing these two, at least, face to face with the worst kind of darkness. The kind they see when they look inward. I'd like to keep talking, but as we get farther into the meat of the mystery, I'm finding it harder to make comments without giving things away. But I am always delighted to get your comments. The feedback show we recorded last Sunday with Gail Carragher went very well. I'm not sure when it'll drop, but it should be soon. For those of you who've been waiting, Free Will, the sequel to Predestination, is now live. The first two episodes are available now on the Uber feed and on the Antithesis feed, both of which you can find on iTunes or on my website on the right sidebar at www.jdsawyer.net. I'm also dropping special features on both feeds every other week or so, stuff from the Triple Threat, contest announcements, stuff like that. Those of you I met at World Fantasy Con, I had a wonderful time. Particularly you, Brian Rathbone, you are absolutely insane. 
The rest of you will find out why in a few weeks. Let's just say that when you cram three red-bearded men into a small hotel room with a kiwi and a microphone, well, scary things happen. Very scary things. Things you'll dream about when you're 90 and... Oh, sorry, wrong book. Um, I've been doing free will all weekend, can you tell? Cast news. You can see Miss Calendar in Gilbert and Sullivan's The Mikado at Dickens Fair at the Cow Palace in Burlingame, California over the next few weekends. You can hear Chris Lester and Philippa Ballantyne's new endeavors at their websites, metamorecity.com and digitalmagicnovel.com, respectively. T. Morris has been up to no good, releasing both the first part of the final episode of The Survivor's Guide to Writing Fantasy and the first chapter of Books and Brawn, his new co-author endeavor with Philippa Ballantyne, at tmorris.com. I'll be releasing it on the feed here next week as well. Nathan Lowell is working on writing his second novel for the month. I think he's going to inherit my magnificent bastard mantle if I don't hurry up here. Nobilis just won NaNoWriMo, and last but certainly most witty, Christiana Ellis is entering the home stretch of her redo of Nina Kimberly the Merciless. If you like barbed, witty, satirical fantasy that'll make you laugh out loud over and over and over again, this one's for you. Compared to Nina Kimberly, Shrek was a pushover. If you haven't ordered your predestination poster yet, don't delay. Only $17.50 for a signed, numbered, shipped, glossy-printed, full-sized poster of the glorious picture of the woman grabbing hold of the moon. You can find it under the swag tab at www.jdsawyer.net. Keep those comments coming. I'm looking for ideas for a good contest to run for the home stretch of Down From 10 because I have a lot of prizes sitting here on my prize shelf. You know where to find me. Send email to feedback at jdsawyer.net, leave voicemail at 206-350-5739, leave comments on the blog at www.jdsawyer.net. Questions, comments, criticisms, attaboys, and death threats are all welcome. And of course, if you're enjoying yourself, please do tell your friends, post a review on iTunes, and blog about us. Also remember that you can drop a couple of bucks into the tip jar at jdsawyer.net and on the Down From 10 blog at downfrom10.jdsawyer.net A portion of the proceeds also go to our composer extraordinaire, Danny Shade. Next time, part two of chapter 16. What more can this day possibly hold? When will our characters begin talking to each other about the strange things they're seeing, hearing, and dreaming? What will happen with Gerd and Sarah? And perhaps most importantly, how will the rest of the group deal with Katie after the effect she's just had on Sarah? Find out next time. And remember always, you can make the whole world end if you but count down from ten. <laughs>